0: Hello, welcome along to Writer's Routine. This week, we're chatting to Adele Parks, all about her 20th novel. It's her 20th in 20 years. It's called Just My Luck. Uh, It's all about a syndicate of friends who win the lottery and then all about the fallout and the fights that ensue. Uh, We talk about her fairly structured writing routine Uh, Also how she decides which idea is a goer, which ones need to be worked on a little bit more and can be used in the future, and which ones just need to be chucked in the bin to never think of again. And we learn about the secret to her getting work done is just to treat it like any other job. I do
1: try and be very regular and I don't believe in like, oh wait till the news strikes, you know, if you work for the NHS, you don't get the chance to wait till the NHS news strikes. You just have to go in every day, and if it's not your best day, you still go in. And I kind of think it has to be the same with my writing. But if I'm, I'm also aware that I do have to give myself some space sometimes, and sometimes ideas do just need to, per, as you say, calculate.
0: Loads more on the way with Adele Parks this week on writers' routine. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. This is Writer's Routine. It's the show where we have a look uh, at an author's working day, a writing day, and we try and steal some of their scheduling secrets. This week, we've got Adele Parks on the show. Since her debut, which was Playing Away, published 20 years ago, she's written a book a year. And it's a routine that's taken her through so much as well through having kids and working and figuring out her style. Uh, She sold uh, almost four million books across 26 different languages. Her new one is Just My Luck. It's all about Lexi and Jake who always enter the lottery with mates uh, with the same numbers. But then they fall out with their friends and they enter with the same numbers and they win. How do they cope? What do they do? How do they deal with that tension? Uh, we talk about how she had the first idea uh, while she was at a dinner party, talking to a stranger and asking a lot of questions, as I reckon all writers probably do. They're very curious, very interested. That's what makes them writers. That's how they can make stuff up. Uh, we also talk about genre, because it's probable, you've got to say, that more women read her books than men. Um, but what does that mean? Does she think about that at all? We talk about how it might affect her style. Uh, Now, just a little warning before we start. This interview is the first one that I I recorded on lockdown uh, remotely. So as such, uh, there might be a few little kinks in the audio. Uh, like at the start, I've had to cut quite a big chunk of myself out just because there was some tech tech faff. Uh, I've sorted that out at the end, but at the start, uh, it c- wouldn't quite work. And I know that not a lot of me is is a horrendous thing to even think about, but Zayla V will have to push through. And yeah, and do do really persevere with this one. Adele has some fantastic tips and advice to help you out, and we get into it as always with what she sees around her in the place where she sits down to write.
1: Okay, so I'm currently sat at my desk. Directly in front of me is the is this enormous mood board, which is about oh, a meter and a half by yeah about a meter by a meter and a half, which my husband made for me. And on that is sort of all postcards and um, book covers and photographs and invitations and sort of all my best moments. And um, I love looking up to my computer and just seeing that because it makes like good. Um, To my right is a very huge window, and I can look out um, onto my garden, which is lovely, a bit wet and drizzly today, if I'm honest, but it is nice to look out that way. Um, And to my left is a big bookshelf, which has, um, this sounds so vain, has all my books on um, in English and in all my translations. So it's an absolute riot of colour, which actually the rest of my office isn't. The rest of my office is very pain quite minimalist, quite white. But um the books are where the books and the notice board are where the colour come from. Um but yeah they're the only books I kind of keep in my office. Everything else I read um is downstairs in on all the bookshelves bookshelves downstairs. Um and I sit on this is the kind of freaky thing about me thinking I'm at my desk for eight hours plus every day, at least eight hours. I sit on an exercise ball, like all day, every day. I have the world's best stomach muscles, that's all I can say. This is so tragic that I can talk to you about my health. But I slipped a disc when I was 21. So throughout my twenties I was actually uh relatively disabled actually. I couldn't I, I couldn't um I couldn't work or sit at a desk. We used to sort of joke that I'd have to take my own chair to like if I went around to someone's house in an evening, I had like this sort of Z chair that I had to take with me on the tube, which was always really weird. And, um, yeah, for years and years and years, I thought that was just going to be um, a chronic condition I was going to be living with with a bad back. And then I discovered my core muscles and the power they have. And so ever since um, then, I've literally been sat on a ball or doing yoga, doing pilates, doing whatever I can to kind of keep my back in shape. And it works. I'm pretty private about what I'm up to. So I have one book on my desk. And I have one per novel, which is um, I write handwritten notes in it. So I write um, my plot and uh, sort of chapter outlines and importantly, my character interviews. So I do this thing whereby I interview every one of my characters so that I get to know them really well. And that interview is obviously covers off, you know, age and gender and how many kids they've got or something basic. But it also covers off, you know favourite colours, birth sign, um, where was your what was your biggest disappointment in life, where was your first kiss? I mean it has literally all sorts of junk about these characters, which obviously much of that information does not make it into a book. Very weird book if it did. It depends on um on a smaller character. It might just be the odd word like, you know, How many siblings, and that would have have the number, and then which is a favourite, and that would have the name. And that's quite useful because I might find that I get a character and I think, gosh, I really need them to explain their motivation, or I need them to work this problem out. Who would they work this problem out with? And then I'll look back on my notes and think, oh, well, their best friend or their sibling is da da da. Maybe that person needs to come into it. So that's why it's helpful. But so for smaller characters, it might only be. You know, when did they marry, when did they divorce, when did they kill someone, that kind of thing. Um, but the uh, longer characters, yeah, I give them a chance to speak, really, and I tend to write that out at length. It just depends on my mood. And then I do often find that kind of prose in the notebook does make it, in, the longer stuff does make it into the novel. I, I, I think I started to do it when I realized that, you know, I've done 20 books in 20 years, and I started when I started out, all I really had to do was write a book, and then i kind of launch a book, and somebody else would look after it for me, and there was, you know, barely any social media, and maybe a few weeks later, I'd start to get some lovely letters through the post telling me they enjoyed it. It was all very kind of genteel and tranquil, and, and the world is so different now. So now I have a lot of stuff to keep in my head. For instance, you know, at the moment, I'm promoting the book Just My Luck, which I um. Uh, you know, I wrote last year, I'm writing another one now, and I will already start thinking, "Oh, hey, what's next? So, and sometimes if I'm launching abroad, they're a year behind again, so I quite often have four books in my head. Three is normal, four is exceptional. So to help me keep track is when I suddenly so maybe 10 years ago, I guess, I thought, okay, I really need to know, when somebody says to me, and Elizabeth, which, where did she come from? I need to know which book Elizabeth is in. So, um, so I, I literally then started thinking I need to write down a lot more. And although I always, I mean, for me, character is everything. I really, I mean, I say that, then I'm majoring going to say, oh, plot's everything. But my character and plot do come hand in hand. Once I have a plot, I think, okay, who's the person that would affect most? And as soon as I start thinking about those characters, they do, and this is gonna make me sound so weird, but they do become my most important people, my best friends, and you know, for a while don't tell my family, but for a while they like the family, and therefore I want to know a lot about them. And so I quite like this tribute to them that I have at the end of the process that I have this this notebook about about them. Um, yeah, it just kind of works for me. It's it's a good memory aid. It's also you do spot your flaws because you kind of go, okay, so this person doesn't have any friends. Why doesn't this person have any friends? Which might have been in your subconscious as the writer. You might have been creating a lonely character, but it's not until you write it down that you realize, okay, I haven't created anybody for them, should I? Or is it better that they are a loner? And, And it just helps you work things through. Writer's routine for me is very structured. It always has been. And um, the structure has changed over the years because, um, so I've got a 19-year-old son. So from, you know, book one, I was pregnant, book two, I had a young baby. So um, routines, I've always sort of said, oh, my muse is definitely a working mum because she manages to fit her, her time round, my um, <laughs> time, and, and my childcare availability. Obviously, he's now all grown and uh, flown the nest and off at university and things. But for the last several years when he's sort of been independent, I really locked down a um, a very tight routine, which is get up at eight, um, I breakfast and then if I'm being very virtuous, I swim, I go for a swim, Um, which again is all to do with stretching out, making sure you're ready for the desk and all the rest of it at my desk by nine o'clock. And I prefer to create in the morning. I know that doesn't always happen sometimes. Um, I find myself doing other things, but on the whole, I would prefer to write in the morning. And I try and write one to 2,000 words. I write all the way through to 11 o'clock. I have a Diet Coke break. After 11 o'clock, I, um, which is literally, walk downstairs, get the Diet Coke, get back to your desk. I mean, it's that short a break. Um, and then I work till one when I have lunch um, quite often in front of the TV so I can watch the news. Um just kind of keep aware of what's going on in the world and then in the afternoon I'm still back at my desk if I haven't done 1 to 2,000 words I will keep writing but invariably I have already written 1 to 2,000 words and if that is the case I will then do social media, um, uh, contracts, PR, that kind of thing this is, my, this is like the perfect world. Um, finish at 5, um, mull around pretending I'm still working Doing that thing where you kind of, because my husband works from home too, and he works later. He doesn't like start as early, but he works later. And, but at five, I'm kind of going into his office going, are we done then? And he clearly is not done, by the way. But I'm like, oh, we're done though, aren't we? We're done. We've done part of it. So depending, I might go for a walk then. That's quite a good time. Um, also, I do yoga most nights. Um, certainly, four out of five work nights, I will try and do some yoga, and then supper, and then Netflix. Usually, have a TV series on the go. Um, so yeah, that uh, it's just very structured through the week. I I very much see it as my job. It happens to be a job that I love. Um, my dad, when I was a child, my dad loves golf, and when I was a child, I remember him watching. A professional golfer on some tournament, and he said to me, I was about seven, if you can check, turn your hobby into your career, you will never work a day in your life. And I remember thinking, oh, that's clever, that's a good idea. And of course, I have been looking at that that's happened for me. And so I don't think of myself as working a day in my life, even though I do. And um, The other thing is, maybe at five o'clock, I mentioned that that's kind of my I might catch up with my team like ring the publishers or they'll ring me and there'll be some kind of question and that's usually quite a laugh and but it's kind of I know we don't really drink cocktails but it's kind of in my mind it's kind of cocktail hour where you just winding down and if I was in an office you'd be saying "are you going for a drink?" Um so it's that kind of feeling.
0: Let me take you to the end of the day. H- how long are you uh, do you keep thinking about your story? I mean, you say that you, you finish at five and then you kind of wander up to your husband's office, see if he's good to, to drop it as well. Are, are things constantly percolating while you're not there?
1: Yeah, I'm constantly doing that. And actually, I, I know I do it because I sometimes think, oh God, I just missed whatever anybody said because I've suddenly gone off into my plot or my characters are having a little conversation in my head, which makes me sound completely balmy, but it is actually just what happens. Um, and the other thing I kind of missed after watching um, some TV show, I will read before I go to sleep, you know, somebody else's book, but also um, reading other people's work is also really helpful. Obviously, that is my joy and my trade. So I tend to go to bed quite um, stimulated with others' ideas as well, as well as my own. Um, I don't sleep much, I need to sort of sleep. Oh, I'd say like kind of midnight till four, and then I wake up and then, not that I get up, but that's when I kind of mull stuff over from about four till six, and I usually go back to sleep again from six till eight. So I know that's my routine. I don't fight it anymore. I used to fight it and think, oh, I'm awake in the middle of the night. What's wrong with me? And now I think, no, I'm awake in the middle of the night because that's private time, and it's it's when it, I can be the most alone with my thoughts, and it works for me. Um. So I think a lot of it is kind of not fighting when the creativity comes. I do try and be very regular, and I don't believe in like, oh, wait till the news strikes, because you know, if you work for the NHS, you don't get the chance to wait till the NHS news strikes. You just have to go in every day, and if it's not your best day, you still go in. And I kind of think it has to be the same for my writing. But if I'm, I'm also aware that I do have to give myself some space sometimes, and sometimes. Ideas do just need to, as you say, calculate.
0: Being regular, how much do you think that's helped you in being able to get 2,000 words, hopefully done, a day that your brain knows, right, it's it's 10 o'clock, we're going to crack on now? It's
1: absolutely essential. It's also not... It's like, if you're one of those people that really likes the gym and you miss it, then your body starts to feel a bit out of shape. My mind feels a bit out of shape if I'm not writing. And... When my son was younger, um, things like the summer holidays, everything, your routine would go to pot and, you know, it was all about childcare and things. I know I got quite agitated and then I would just do it differently than I would write at night times or what have you. Um, I need to get words out. It, it, it's very, very important to me. I mean, uh, the, the the point of being a writer is is a way of reaching out. It's a way of hoping there's like other people out there that connect with you that, Read your words and go. Oh yeah, that's how I feel. Or yeah, I can see why that would happen. Um, so for me, it's very much a, um, a, a pleasure. Actually, I need I need to get it done. So yeah, it doesn't feel too tricky to do it. I mean, I'm not. I'm not. I'm kidding myself. If I said oh, it's always easy to do two thousand words. It's not. It's always easy to do a thousand. A thousand to two thousand is the goal. Um, and I always, you know, you see everyone has different ways. You sometimes see online, someone say, oh, I wrote 5,000 words today. And I think to myself, I bet you cut 3,000 tomorrow. Because, you know, they're not necessarily your best 5,000 if you've written them. I don't know. Everybody's got different ways of doing it. Um, obviously, in that word count of going up 1,000 words, the only thing that is really hard for me, and it absolutely is, is when I know I'm restructuring and I'm editing and actually I'm just seeing the word count go down which I'm relatively fearless about. I have been known to throw out books at 80,000 words, which if you think my books are generally like 110,000 words, and you kind of think, oh, I'm nearly there. And I read them, I go, Mm, it's not though, is it? I have been known to throw that out and start all over again. Um, so it's not that I'm afraid of editing, but it is my least favourite part of of the process when because it just feels like a step backwards. Well, I try to not look at the word kind of too much because you can become obsessive about it. But then I find I'm sort of slowing down and my mind's wandering and I think it's not as good. Or or it might be, oh, it's terrific, and I've stopped at the end of the chapter and that works for me. And then I'll tend to look at the word cut then and think, ah, that's amazing because that's 1,600 words or, you know, or I'll look at it and go, oh, it's 900 words, Patsy, push on. Um, so, you know, I'm, I am very harsh taskmaster with myself. But you do know, you do know when your quality is sliding. And also look, this is twenty years in, I write a thousand to two thousand words. I'm certain I didn't do that with the first few books. I am certain that I would come in fits and starts, and you know, some days I would write loads, and some days I wouldn't write anything at all. That that you just need to find the routine that works for you. So I tried, I used to do this routine whereby I think Oh, I'll just do the mornings and I'll have my afternoons off because that would be really good for me and it would be more um, stimulating. But actually what I found is sometimes I was um, cutting myself off before I was ready for it and that would give me a bad afternoon anyhow because I'd be sort of going, oh, well, I don't want to be here, I want to be at my desk. Or I hadn't kind of completely finished what I was... Sorry, sorry I couldn't get to where I needed to be in just the, the morning Or it would be that I got there within like an hour. And then I think, well, I have to stay at my desk. I told myself I'd stay here till one o'clock. And that's ridiculous as well. So yeah, it's just finding what works for you.
0: How much do you know about what you're writing that day when you sit down at 10 o'clock?
1: Hmm. So here's the thing. I I always know where my books are going to end. Always, always, always. My books have always had twists. Even when, I mean, now I write, domestic noir and you know I'm known everyone says oh you know the twisty novels I'm like yep but even my earlier books that were sort of much more relationship books they always had a final twist I just love that I kind of love the rug pull or even if it's not a twist it's a it's a reveal and and I pride myself on the fact that because I know where it's going every word in that novel ought to work harder because it shouldn't be and whilst it should be unexpected or it can be unexpected of what happens. it should also always be believable. I can't bear books where they suddenly find, you know, a trust fund under their bed because I promise you if you have a trust fund you know about it and so on and so forth. And so I need it to be kind of a reveal whereby you can believe in it as a reader. and You just think, oh my gosh, yes, I just need to reread it and see all the clues. So I always know where it's going. But on a day-to-day, so I have an outline of chapters and I have a path, like, like a journey path. But on a day-to-day basis, I don't always know what my characters are going to say or do in that particular chapter or in those few chapters or whatever, that over a week. Because they, they do have a bit of a life of their own and I do realise that there is maybe a character that I didn't think was going to be so big and then they, they are more interesting and I want them to come in. Or I find them being a little bit more sympathetic than I expected them to be, or in fact more villainous than I expected them to be. And so there is a level of surprise, praise be, because otherwise I would. Um, <laughs> that's so. Thank goodness I do have the uh, little, um, the the little surprise, even for myself when I'm writing it. It stops me getting bored. It's not overplanned. I need to. I need to let the characters have their freedom.
0: And you also mentioned. Writers that that tend to overwrite get five thousand words done. With your one thousand odd words, are they the perfect words? Uh,
1: well, I edit as I go along, and I edit every. I, I edit daily, so I tend. And actually, you know, I shouldn't. I'm not being critical of anyone who does do five thousand. As I say, it might work for them. I just know that if I've written five thousand, I've usually gone off track, and it's. It's maybe somebody else's short story. It should be a short story for something else rather than part of my novel. But um, the, the 1,000 to 2,000 should be, by the end of the session, it should be darn close to my perfect words. But that said, I, part of my process is quite interesting. I hope it's a bit different. Um, at sort of halfway through my novel, which is about fifty to 60,000 words, I read it aloud to my husband which is quite controversial. Um, he's just, I mean, he's utterly adorable because he is the most transparent human being in the history of mankind. So I can see when he's delighted or moved or interested, but I can also see when he's bored. Um, or he's just thinking, nah, mate, that wouldn't work. So he's a really great editing tool, and I'll just put like big scribbles next to the margins as I'm reading it, just in or I draw his face, like I draw a smiley face. All right, draw a grumpy face, and then I go away and edit again, and then I do that process. And that occasionally, three times in my career, I've read them out at fifty thousand words and decided they weren't good enough. And then three times in my career, I've ditched my book at fifty thousand words, and then um, I read them to him again at eighty thousand words, which is kind of you know you two thirds of the way through maybe three quarters, you should be nearly there. And on one occasion, I realized that the viewpoint I had wouldn't work for the final reveal. And I don't know why it took me to 80,000 words to get to that point, but it just made me think, hang on, I want you to sympathize with this character all the way along, but this character is lying to you all the way along, and that's annoying at the end, you know, you feel cheated. So it it just didn't work. So, that was pretty tough. And I decided, yeah, that one needed to, to start again at 80000 um, And he was quite interesting at that point because he was just kind of going, no, push on, you're nearly there. Because obviously we get paid when I deliver this book. <laughs> so he was like, no, don't be foolish. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Keep going. But anyway, I binned it. And, um, and it really worked for me because actually that turned out to be the book Lies, 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 which did actually hit number one. And I always think it was because I was so ruthless with myself about getting the right words because I think I could have possibly got away with not changing the viewpoint which obviously as we all know is not just a search where you change I for they you know it really is a little bit more than that um but yeah worthwhile I believe I hope imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time
2: you have an airbnb your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com host.
0: now before we get back into it with adele i just want to push you towards our patreon page i have sent out quite a few things uh, to patrons in the uk recently so if i've got in touch with you to ask for your details if you've not got anything yet Hopefully that'll be soon. Uh, if you have got something and you've not let me know about it, send me an email so I know that it got there safely. Uh, if you're a little bit further afield, hang tight on that. I'm just, I'm, to be honest, I'm waiting to get into the post office so I can send it to you. Uh, it won't be long, I promise. I just need the line to go down a little bit. Uh, it is brilliant, though, that so many people are getting involved with the Patreon right now. I i, I expected the exact opposite. And I'm just blown away by the kindness that you've shown in these strange times. And if you want to help the show, too, uh, you can by pledging a small amount of cash uh, every month. Just a dollar or so really does help us out over on our Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash writers routine. It It helps us carry on bringing you episodes with some of the biggest writers that we can find. And fingers crossed... They'll be a lot easier to find nowadays because they'll be at home just like we are in front of their computer. I don't really need to travel too far to go and chat to them. Uh, you get stuff for your troubles as well. You get little bits of merch from us just to say thanks. Honestly, whatever you can give is really amazing. If you have learned anything that has helped the way that you tell your stories over over 100 episodes, uh, please do support us. It's patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Right, let's get back into it then with Adele Parks. She's published 20 books in 20 years, sold almost 4 million of them in 26 different languages. The new one is just my luck. Now, in this half, we talk about genre and whether the gender of readers affects the way that she writes at all uh, and why it turns out that men never actually want to admit the reason why they are reading her books. That's a lot of fun. We also talk about how she got the very first idea for Just My Luck at a dinner party when she was being curious. And we get back into it with more on her strict writing routine and what happens when she's up against it, when she's possibly rethinking what she's written and having to bin 80,000 words and she's still got to crack out some more.
1: It works. If, if like, people do the math and they go, five days a week, you know, it's 52 weeks in a year, take four weeks off for holidays, write one to 2,000 words, you're probably still okay. I mean, it means you're more likely to be doing the 2,000 words rather than the 1,000. But it kind of always gets there. And even when you ditch 50,000 words, I've never, like, ditched a book and said, right, well, I'm ditching the idea. I've always still known the idea and the plot. It's usually that I think the subplot hasn't worked or I'm changing something about my character or I'm changing something about, as I say, viewpoint that happens to me a lot. Um, I find it quite hard to know which viewpoint to settle into, first or third, and I, and I quite often end up writing quite a few chapters in one and then changing it to the other, because it does affect what you can reveal or can't reveal to your... To your readers, and I always want the readers kind of on the side and, and knowing maybe a little bit more than the characters. So, um, but you can get there. It, it, it means a bit of effort if you do a ditching. You definitely, there's no days for slacking, but you can get there.
0: What date does your final draft have to be handed in with no changes that can be made? Tend to be.
1: Um, oh, technically, very, very late for no changes. Process is so I contractually I'm meant to like deliver my draft in September. I'm a girly swat and I usually deliver in June, although I don't know if I'll do that this year. Everything feels very different this year with my um, because I've got a hardback launch and a paperback launch, and I've got my son um, unexpectedly now at home. So I don't know, don't know if it'll be June, but theoretically it's September and it will be September, that's not a problem. And then the editor and, and my agent sometimes, they will have a read and if they have any input, they normally tell they tell me at that stage. But usually it's only tweaks. I mean, because I am ruthlessly good at self-editing and I am my biggest critic and I never think anything's good enough that I produce I'm, until, it, until I finally give it to them. And then I usually give it to them with a big fanfare and say, hey, this is brilliant, which amuses them a lot. But honestly, you kind of have to. You have to believe in it by the time you give it to them. Um, and then I hand it up to my editor, and she might have... she Well, she will make some notes, and that will probably take me tops a week to alter things, because there's not really a lot. It's usually a line here, put in a line there. The very most will be put in one more scene. Um, and then it goes off to line edits, which I think is the tricky job so that's the kind of person who goes away and looks at kind of okay your car, car journey would take this length of time and you have said it takes this length of time or oh gosh she was in trousers and now she's in a skirt and i think how have i missed that i've read this book you know 40 times before i've handed it in how have i not seen that myself but fresh eyes at that point are always useful and that's that that's the kind of you know line editing that's quite important and then it goes away again And then it's proof editing. And at that stage, if you start changing things in a big way, contractually, you're supposed to pay. Because they've already, by that time, invested quite a lot of money in terms of paying the line editor, paying the proof editor, paying the proof setter. So um, but that's that's never been the case for me. I haven't had a sort of mad panic where I've wanted to change something drastically.
0: You should be all done by November time. Right, so take me through if you publish a book a year, what happens then? When, what's your writing routine of a year? When will you start to get a new idea? When will you start to have the interviews with characters, plan that out? When do you start writing? Talk me through that.
1: Okay, so I'm going to start in a random place. I'm going to start in, um, well, a month, let's take July. So in July, I will start thinking about a new book and um, July and August, I'm usually thinking about a new book and um, September, In October, I'm usually launching a book, the one that I the year before, if you know what I mean. And then in November, I interview the characters and sort the plot out so that it's absolutely locked down. And by January is when I sit at my desk. And from January to June, I write the book, Um, which is, as you can see, there's a bit of slack. So if there's if there is a disaster or I need to ditch at 80 or 50,000 words, there is there's a bit of slack there. But it usually takes me about six months to, to write. So January to June is normally when I'm actually writing, but obviously in that time, especially this year, because I have got a hardback that's coming out in May, as opposed to just a paperback in September. This time now there's a lot more PR and things, even in March and April, to um you know, just to keep to keep the ball rolling. Um So yeah, so it's shifting ever so slightly, but normally, yeah, July, August, lots of thinking, but also, so I'll be um, editing the one I um, delivered in July and August, and thinking about the next one. Um, September, October, launching the one I delivered the year before, Um, then start the planning, and then January start the writing and so on
0: and so forth. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense. I just, the idea of you having almost four books in your head at one point is is staggering. Let me ask you this. When you know you need to have an idea for a new book, what's that process for figuring out what it's going to be? I don't want this question to be as simple as how do you get your ideas? But, but No, I know
1: exactly what you mean, and it's a good question because when people say how do you get your ideas, you go, well, I get loads of ideas. You know, I get ideas from around all the time. That's not what you're asking. You're asking how do you know if an idea is a goa, really? And um, that's the two months of planning because I might have ten ideas, but I might think as I write them out, no, that's not that isn't a novel. That's that's a short story or you know that's a play or that's something different, but it's not a novel. And um, because for a novel you do need a, a dense plot, especially more recent times, people expect a lot from a. A plot. They want it to be robust, but also shocking. Um, they want, you know, lots of surprises, lots of, but but still to be able to believe in it. And and there's a lot of books being produced, so you need you need to work quite hard on plot. And then also character. I want my characters to be believable, etc. So it does take a couple of months of, of of interviewing the characters, writing out the plots. I do mind maps. All of those things go into this notebook on my desk. Um, to see if that one is a goer, and then depending on what type of book it is, that's also research time. Because, um, for instance, on just my luck, it was about a lottery win. Well, I don't know anything about the lottery. I don't even play the lottery, or I didn't then. I am now, just in case. <laughs> um, but I didn't. Um, I didn't then. So you know, the first thing I did is I went out and bought a lottery ticket and went through that process. I was like, oh, okay. Then I got in touch with um, Camelot. Um, and you know, really work through the process of what happens when they win. And they were kind to me, and they um, introduced me to people that uh, were liaised with winners. They introduced me to winners. They put me on forums. They, you know, they allowed me to do quite a lot of research to see if there was enough to make a novel, um, and and if my plot idea was actually realistic. So there's a lot going on there. That is part of where do you get your ideas? Because then when you do talk to people, you sort of think, gosh, that's that's really interesting little detail. That that brings it alive. That really must be included in the book. But I perhaps wouldn't have thought about that if I hadn't been interviewing and talking. So um, I was at a friend's birthday party. And it was a sit-down thing. And I was sat down next to an old friend that I had actually lost touch with. And I said to him, oh, where are you working now? And he used to work. um, He's a finance director and he used to work for a mobile phone company and he said I work for the lottery I was like no way tell me about the lottery because that's what I do with my life as soon as I sit down and meet someone I always want to know what their world is like because that's what the do they sort of magpie pick at other people's lives very wrong of us but very true um and he told me he said oh you know it's really interesting Adele because um we have these people that liaise and help, and if you've got a massive win, and when we're talking massive, we're talking, you know, multi-multi-million win, one of the things we need to do is advise you on security, and for instance, you might want bodyguards for your children. I say, I'm sorry, what? Because none of us think, if we won the lottery, that it, within the first sort of 24 hours, one of the questions we'd be asked, do we want bodyguards for our children? Now, isn't that astounding as soon as you think about it? So I immediately sort of thought, oh, a lottery win isn't quite as you'd as you'd imagine, you know. And of course, all of us think, oh, one day if I win the lottery, that'll happen, all my dreams will come true. And I think some people's dreams do come true, and I think some people's dreams absolutely do not. And money is, as we know, can be the root of all evil, can um, answer some problems, can create others. And we were driving home from that party and it was August by the way this birthday party and I had started to get a bit nervous that the ideas I was shuffling around and making notes on weren't really working for me it hadn't really set me on fire and I was driving home and I was saying to my husband put your foot down I really need to get home you know I really need to write this down and it just came to me on that drive home um, from Tunbridge Wells that I wanted to write about friendship because again I've been at this party and it was with old friends and it had been brilliant and it had just slipped back into how we were in our 20s and it'd been such a giggle um and very alcohol fueled and lots of fun and uh, not by my husband by the way he's a tea toddler i need to add that since i said he was driving home but anyway he is um uh then and i knew i wanted to write about friendship and i just on that journey home came up with the idea of what if you're in a syndicate with your friends and then what if you had a fallout you still won the lottery. What's your responsibility to those friends? What do you owe them? And that, of course, is the concept of, of Just My Luck. It's about three couples that have known each other since their babies were first born and they were in a postnatal group together. So they've been through everything because their kids are now 15. Their kids are all interwoven, best friends, boyfriends, all that kind of thing. Um, they see each other often. They're probably a bit overly codependent. And two of the families out of the three have done better socially, and they sort of turn around and kind of become a bit snobby about the lottery, and and, and it's in it, and they say they don't want to be part of it. And there's a big row, a huge row, kicks off over many many issues. But this row kicks off at a dinner party, and two of the families drop out of the syndicate, and the third family continue to buy the ticket with the same numbers, and the very next week they win 18 million pounds. Um, and of course the two families that have missed out feel morally uh, that they ought to have had this money, but in fact legally they're not entitled to it at all. So it's about the consequences of that and indeed the do you need bodyguards for your children comes into play. So I think we accept that women read me more. Um, I, I definitely used to writing women's fiction, there's no two I think set off writing books that are about relationships and I'm not saying men didn't read them because I know they did because I would get emails and such from men which were always hilarious because they always started with things like my girlfriend was laughing at your book and I just asked her what she was laughing at you know never wanting to admit they were reading them after the own accord but in fact they were also marketed for women and you know you can't please all the people all the time and the, the books had sort of glorious shoes and women's legs on the front and they were sort of, you know, definitely marketed for women. But more recently, um, the sort of last three, four, five books, I think I'm more classed as what they're now saying is domestic noir, which means they might not be a body count, but it's definitely gonna be a psychological thriller. You are going to feel unsettled. Um, And so I think more men are reading them. But that said, the cover of Just My Luck has got a woman in a pink dress sat with her feet dangling in a pool. Now, it might be a pool with a, a sort of shadowy threat hanging over it, but I think it is still marketed at women. And that's okay, because 52% of the world is female, and if every woman in Britain bought my book, I would have
0: no problems. It leads me on to asking you about genre. If you're writing a domestic noir now having written in women's fiction and historical fiction, when you've got the idea for a story, do you give any thought to it? Do you really give any thought to who's going to read it? What genre you're writing in, perhaps what the standard tropes and beats of the genre is? I don't, actually.
1: In fact, um, I would advise most people not to care about people who read, who's going to read it. Because if you ch- chase the market... because you know, there's quite often this thing of sort of saying, oh, you should now, you know, domestic noir is really popular now. And I'm Like, yeah, but if you start writing a domestic noir, you're probably not going to write it in six months. If it's your first book, it's probably going to take you longer. And then it takes a year to be published, which is always seems shockingly slow, but it is just the way it is. Um, and so therefore, in two years time, is domestic noir still going to be the thing? So don't write a book because it's the thing. Write a book because you want to write that book. That said, um, my background, before I was a writer, I worked in advertising, so I'm very aware of consumers, and I'm very aware of marketing, and my very first novel, Playing Away, was in response to a genre, but it was, so the genre being um, Bridget Jones's, led by Bridget Jones's um, Diaries, Helen Fielding's fabulous novel, which was obviously spawned a whole genre, which in those days was called lit. Uh, which I think we all accept is is sexist and Mm. inappropriate now. But in those days, it was fine, and that's what people called it. And it was about young women looking for love. And I was already married, and I remember thinking, well, this is really charming and funny, but it doesn't hit the reality. So I wrote about a woman who, in her first year of marriage, and she'd had all that fizzy excitement of gallivanting around town and, Snodding loads of people and having choice. And now she had far less choice. In fact, she was married. So she had zero choice because we live in a monogamous society. So it was to do with the reality hitting. And obviously, it's called playing away. It's not about football. She obviously has no Um And so it had that sort of darker, spikier side to it even then. But pe- so people didn't quite know where to sit to me. Um so for many years I spent my life saying, no, it's not really Chiclet. Or I would like, say to people, well, what's Chiclet? And they say it's about a single person, drinks Chardonnay, looks for a husband. And I'm like, oh, my, I've never written about a single character. My characters are always partnered up or they're never looking for love. They might find it, but they're not looking for it. So I don't know if that's appropriate in a polite way, which means, bugger off. off. Um, but as time went on, I became less interested in what was happening in the market because I understood the process and I realised that it didn't really matter what was out right now because by the time I got my right now out, it would be further on. Um, and the big advice is never imagine your mum reading it. Honestly, never. Because it's actually um, restricted. I believe. If you try and please people, it's quite restrictive. If anything, I have to push against thinking about reading it, because I felt I was much freer in my early books than I am now, because now I do know that I get people sending me their opinions all the time, and uh, that I can easily offend or, um, or or wave a flag for, or and I've got to be careful because I want to make my own points, because that's the point of being a writer, and I want to talk about the things that are important, that I think are important to me, and I hope are important universally but i also want to be socially responsible um so for instance lies 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 there was a lot of there was a lot of domestic violence in lies 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 a sort of there was a constant threat of it and there were a couple of scenes that I put it that way and i felt that was something i really needed to talk about but it was very very difficult a to write and b to know that that was going out there and that people that were at all affected by that particular subject matter were going to have to deal with and think about. But I felt that they would appreciate not being alone and appreciate it being thought about and read and understood. So I still thought it was important. But no, I try and not think about my readers, and it's not because I don't love my readers, because I absolutely love my readers. I literally do. They make me laugh so much because they are the people that are connecting and the whole point of this whole process. But I know if I start chasing them, I will write books that will turn them off. It will be authentic.
0: And that is it for this week's Writers' Routine. Thank you so much to Adele Parks, her brand new book, Just My Luck, is out right now. You can find out loads more about it over at writersroutine.com. While you're there, you can get in touch. Let me know what you think. Let me know if there's a guest that you want to hear on the show. Please do fire it over to us on the website. Uh, you can also give us a follow on Twitter. We're, we're keeping that updated fairly regularly with um, writing tips from, from some of the best ones we've had on here, just to keep you going right now. Uh, we are at Writers' Pod on there. Uh, now, next week, we with james swallow who has written just about everything if you can put words to a page he has done it he's written video games to tv tie-ins and he's got a new spy thriller out that is next week on writer's routine i will see you then Bye. bye